This is the Thanks for Sharing podcast, the podcast where we explore all things recovery, healing, and relationship. Remember to subscribe and download episodes in the iTunes Store, the Google Play Store, or on the Podbean app. You can find more Thanks for Sharing at www.thanksforsharingpodcast.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash healingpaths. That's path with an S. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Thanks for Sharing. I'm John T. And I'm Jackie P. Uh, on our show today, we have a guest, Tim Kiernan. Um, Tim is a licensed marital and family therapist who's been working with men in recovery from addictions and other compulsive behaviors. He's a f- certified sex addiction therapist and a certified multiple addiction therapist uh, like Jackie and I. He's also received a certification in trauma therapy with Judy Crane. Um, he's also trained with Brene Brown, a world-renowned expert in intimacy and vulnerability. He has, he's worked at a lot of different residential facilities. He has a private practice in, tele, in uh, Nashville, Tennessee right now. Um, and we're happy to have him on the show. Welcome, Tim. Thank you. Glad to be here. So we've brought Tim on the show today uh, to talk about this concept in treatment and recovery that we refer to as levels of care. Right. Um, and this is probably something as a a general consumer you may not have heard of or may not be aware of. It may just be therapy talk. It may just, it, <laughs> it is just therapy talk. Um, but I think it's a really important concept to be empowered with. Um, and you'll, you'll see as we kind of talk why you'd want to know what different mm-hmm. levels of care are and how to know what you need. Um, and we brought Tim on because Tim right now, your, your main gig is with outer circle recovery. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So what that's do you, right. what, What do you guys do at Outer Circle? Well, um, we're a sober living facility, meaning we provide um, kind of a a bridge between being in an inpatient setting and going home. Um, We have a really strong therapeutic component to it. So, you know, right now we just work with men, so I'm not trying to be sexist in my language. But um, so when a guy comes out of, of inpatient treatment, like, you know, at the Meadows or, or, you know, any place, you know, that offers it. Um, we, we have them come in, stay, we have it's a love and bed facility and um, they uh, participate in groups with their uh, peers that are also here. Um, we do aftercare groups. So, you know, our men are expected to um, either do 12 step or refuge recovery Um get a sponsor or a peer in, in refuge recovery, um, mainly, uh, mainly 12 steps. And so, um, they have to work the steps. They have to, uh, go out and volunteer every day. Um, we expect at least 10 hours of, uh, volunteer work. Um, we, we have a, a community center nearby within walking distance that a lot of our, um, members have, have gone and, and, uh, helped out with. They do like meals on wheels and, um, so, but they also get two hours of individualized therapy um, every week with other CSAT. So mm. we have the house, but nearby we also have a, uh, an office. And in that office, we have six uh, different CSATs that are, you know, they're out, outpatient therapists, but we, we line them up. And part of the, the tuition of being here is that two hours every week. Mm. Um, it's about a 90 day to 180 day program. Um, and, and we do that and we set that 90 days. It's not arbitrary, but you know, what we know about brain plasticity, which, you know, Patrick Carnes talks a lot about 
know, kind of recutting that groove. It takes about 90 days for that, that, um, that brain plasticity really to show up. Mm-hmm. And so cutting a new groove, like in an LP, um, an old record. And, uh, so our take on it is even though you may have done 45 days, uh, you know, 90 days in a treatment center, we're not that bubble. You know, when you yeah. get here, uh, in the morning, you're going to do groups and have accountability, but, you got to go buy your own groceries and uh, you got to go volunteer. If somebody absolutely has to work to make income, you can go work part-time. Um, and we're also open to if, if a person absolutely has to go back to work, but has the ability to telecommunicate or, you know, work on the computer, telecommute, I guess um, they can, uh, we can arrange that. So we're really set up to meet all of our residents where they are. You know, yeah. we want in, but the ultimate goal is to get these guys back into real life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of times, you know, go ahead. I was going to say, if I, if I remember what you told me at symposium back in May was that you guys are the first sober living house for sex addiction. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So we've, we not only treat men with sex addiction, but all problematic sexual behaviors, as long mm-hmm. as they're not contact sexual offenders. Mm-hmm. Um, or on the sexual offender list, we're not capable of, of treating those guys. Um, but if you have problematic sexual behavior, so that could include men getting out of treatment for alcohol and drugs or, you know, codependency uh, that have problematic uh, sexual behavior. So, and when I kind of, when people ask me about that, that are, that come from a sex addiction or 12 step world, it's, um, you know, in the AA big book, there's a reason why there's a sex inventory in your, in your uh, four step. Mm-hmm. You know, so we all have, you know, it says clearly in the big book, you know, we all have sexual issues. Right. So we're equipped to ask those uh, guys to look at that and, and work on those issues, regardless of whether or not they're sex addicts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So talking about the levels of care, I mean, inpatient, residential, um, that would be like on the high end of level of care. You would be kind of a step down from the residential yep. inpatient. Uh, because sometimes, and this is just for our listeners to understand, if we go from a high level of care to like outpatient once a week is a level of care, but mm-hmm. it may be too much between those two steps, inpatient yeah. to once a week outpatient. And, yeah. and so it's not uncommon to see clients or patients who, who go from that level of care to the once a week really yeah. struggle yeah. to maintain the skills and the momentum that they build up. So you're kind of a level of care one down. Let's see how we do it here where you are getting your own groceries and do they have access to their phones? I'm guessing or computers. Um, yes. And, and like I said, we're, we're meeting the client or the resident where they are. So yeah. if phone is really problematic, let's say there's somebody who's continuously calling his wife or his partner and there's a huge amount of enmeshment, we may take the phone away. Okay. Um, but we work with a, um, a company called One Step, which is a, um, kind of a, our, our software. That, it's software, it's online that we do um, electronic medical records, although we're not a medical facility. Yeah. Um, uh, but what it, they have is a, um, an app for uh, iPhones. And so we can actually track where they are. They can check in and out of meetings um, they can check in and out of, uh, you know, their grocery shopping or their volunteer experiences. 
So we, it's kind of like Big Brother in a way, but it, what that does is it offers immediate accountability. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and if they get stuck or, you know, in a pinch, you know, and say, man, I'm about to go act out. Okay, stay right there. I'll be there. You know, and right. so that gives us the opportunity to go help them. Yeah. Um, you know, and and that's what they're paying for is the assistance from us. But you know, part of our assistance to them, the most loving thing we can do is is let them experience those triggers and and figure out how to work through them. Yeah. yeah. Right. So so if you could talk a little bit, Tim, like what in your view, what in your experience necessitates somebody at a higher level of care than just going to meetings or seeing their therapist once a week? Because this isn't the course of treatment for everybody in addiction recovery, correct? Uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I got sober in AA in 2006. I didn't need to go to treatment for it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm also a recovering sex addict. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've been to treatment three times because of that. You know? <laughs> I can only speak to myself you know, personally, um, kind of from that 12-step perspective. Um, I, just, I needed um, to be in a place that was safe. Mm-hmm. Um, tremendous amount of trauma as a, as a child and as those memories started re-emerging um, it left me in a really vulnerable place so mm-hmm. yeah I needed to be in a spot um, three times because um, it was so profound for me and so upsetting um, that I you know I could work through those issues mm-hmm. yeah. um, for a normal client what I would I you know will will recommend usually is let's look at what you're doing, the severity of it, the frequency of it, um, the amount of upset it's causing in your life. Um, is it affecting your, you know, your loved ones, your jobs? Um, and look at the whole picture. Um, mm-hmm. I guess if we were to look at kind of a pat answer, it would be the, the man or the woman can't stop acting out. Right. You know, they can't stop whatever their defined bottom line behaviors are, um, you know, they can't stop masturbating. They can't stop uh, looking at pornography. They can't stop going to prostitutes or seeing that affair partner, um, where they're just kind of uh, you know just so obsessed about a person um, that it's interfering with all those different things in their lives. Um, so that's when I've I've referred uh, my clients to a higher level of care. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Both at when I was working in a treatment center and um, and when I was in private practice. Yeah. And often I will tell clients when I'm referring them inpatient, like this is not punishment, right? I think oftentimes that trauma background that most clients have, or a lot of clients have, it feels like a form of punishment. Mm-hmm. It feels like a form of rejection from the client and, yeah. and really kind of getting them to understand, like, like you were saying with your experience, that there's some unraveling that needs to happen in a very safe, cocooned place Mm -hmm. so that you can kind of lose it and still be safe for yourself and those around you. And, and that's what inpatient really offers. And I think they, you know, a lot of inpatient places do some great work and really provide that safe place for some really painful memories and some painful events to, to manifest and really come out and be felt. Um, You know, but everybody can't stay in inpatient forever. And so then they've got to come out and, and that's the manner of how do we, gauge that once you're coming out and how do we step you back into your life? Yeah. Yeah. So for those of you who've, who've flown an airplane, you'll know what I'm talking about, but really there's, there's two ways to land an airplane. You can either follow, do it with your instruments and, and every runway, major runway will have these, 
antennas that go out for about a mile and then on your plane on the instrument panel you have this thing called a glide slope indicator right and so what that does is if you're looking at that instrument um, you can just follow that the, the instrument down in a, just a really gentle glide till you touch down on the runway so mm-hmm. um, it takes all the kind of the guesswork and that's what we provide right uh-huh. that gentle guide so you, you can hit the runway and then get going go going again with your life in a different direction the other way to do it is just what they call dead reckoning it's kind of like <laughs> you the runway you, you look down you, you aim the nose of the plane 500 feet behind the runway and then you just land it mm-hmm. um and and that's scary and it's it's treacherous and that's kind of like getting out of treatment um that was my experience getting out of treatment for the first time it's kind of like okay here's a list of meetings here's a big book uh, an SAA book and uh, good luck. Right. Yeah. And then here's your new therapist. You get to see him once a week and do his group. And that was all good and well, but um, you know, about three years later, I had a, a pretty significant relapse. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I really believe that had I taken that time to really kind of adjust to life again um, slowly, that I, I would have. It would have been a heck of a lot less scary. I mean, I know that much. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um. So that glide slope is what we're providing. You know, the longer a resident is here, um, the more responsibilities they have in the house, but also the more freedoms they get as well. Mm -hmm. Um, They don't necessarily have to be back at the house, you know, by curfew or, you know, we can give them more, um, more liberties. Like we have a five mile radius around the house. Mm -hmm. uh, The men are not allowed to leave without permission where, you know, as you know, We'll, we'll kind of let them ease back into that. And it's like you said, it's not, a, it's not about punishing them or treating them like a child. It's more about creating safety mm-hmm. and giving them a sense of what boundaries are. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And, no boundaries. And I, I think that's a really important part of addiction recovery. I think still a lot of the conceptualization in our society and even a lot of people who are coming into the rooms and coming to recovery the first time is that, Um, this is a moral issue and you just need to make the right decisions. Yeah. Um, which is insane if we look at how like the physical body and the brain actually heal and are treated. If, if you can't breathe on your own, it's not punishment to be in a ventilator, it's support. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's support until you're ready to do a little more on your own. Um, and I think it's the same with uh, addiction, which we know affects the brain. It changes the brain. Um, it affects our, our psyche and our bodies and the way that it works. There's, there's actual support that we need in order to do our best in order to, to keep surviving. And, um, I think that's a really important part of this, uh, seeking or considering the appropriate level of care is going to a higher level of care. doesn't mean failure. It means there's an opportunity to be better supported with what you need. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm convinced that long-term recovery doesn't come out of, I, I laughed when you said dead reckoning uh, with landing because that's a really exciting phrase and it sounds like there's a, there's a good chance of death with <laughs> dead reckoning. Um, but I, I think recovery long-term happens the best when we see it as something that is sustainable and something that's doable and something that makes sense into our life. And if we're, if we're clear out here in left field and we need to, to make a hard right turn, um, sometimes we need a lot of support in making that because our, our concept, our concept of ourself, our concept of the way our relationships work and the concept of the way the world works is very, very different. And that change will happen gradually. And that change needs to be really 
supported. It's not something that will just flip a switch in our brains and think and feel and relate differently. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, just having that, that extra support of your peers too um, is so crucial because it's, it's really easy to treat the staff here or any treatment um, you know, level of care, whether you're an outpatient or in a, you know, even in a psych ward, you know, uh, kind of that continuum. It's easy to view the staff or your therapist as an authority figure. Uh-huh. Uh, and I, I don't know about y'all, but in my addiction, I certainly don't like being told what to do. Yeah. And um, so you have, a, have somebody saying, you got to do this, you got to do that, versus your peer saying, man, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are, you, what are you thinking? When you did that, what, were, what was your thought process? I'm really worried about you. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, those relationships continue long after um, you leave a particular center or you know, house. Um, they'll, they'll, the clients here or in treatment uh, we'll leave and, and, uh, you know, I've got to maintain professional boundaries. I don't give out my personal phone number. And, you know, so that relationship's over, right. um, but it's so critical for this, this peer uh, to peer non-sexual intimacy to build. And, yes. uh, and that's another big thing that, you know, just being community provides. Yeah. Um, I was just going to say, I'm thinking back. I can't remember the person's name that we interviewed. She's a CSAT uh, that uh, prescribes medicine. She's also an, a doctor. Honor as there you go. Ashba. Yeah, Ashba. Mm-hmm. So we did an um, episode with her, just kind of about medication, right? And some of the stigma about. I think especially a lot of addicts have some stigma about taking medication. Yeah. On the one hand, is somewhat ironic, right? Mm-hmm. But um, and and we talked a lot with her just about this need to reduce unnecessary suffering. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and for some people, they can do it the hard way. Right. They could do that. Um, that dead reckoning. It's not recommended mm-hmm. and maybe they're successful, but it didn't have to be so hard. Right. And we sometimes have yeah. to look at what trauma are you reenacting by making it always the hardest route and that's the route you're going to go down. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and can we, you know, a- approach a more loving, supportive way for you to heal and for you to get healthy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, we address that, uh, you know, very first thing when a client resident um, gets here is they meet with the, our clinical director, Ashley Smart, who's also a CSAT. Um, but uh, we also um, have the, the resident meet with a psychiatric nurse practitioner for a psych eval. So when, when guys get out of, uh, you know, traditional inpatient, they will have been working with a medical director or a psychiatrist or both. Um, so if they're on meds, we can continue that, that process and, and that, um, that continuum of care isn't lost. So they're going to get another, you know, interview by a psychiatric nurse practitioner, mm-hmm. whether they're on meds or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and so far we've, we've had guys that, um, you know, our, the nurse practitioner says you're really, you know, maybe over medicated and looks look at titrating off. Mm-hmm. Or in, in one case, we, we just had a guy who just swore up and down. He didn't need it. Vitamins were enough. And, mm-hmm. but he could, you know, couldn't figure out why he kept crying every day <laughs> you know, for mm-hmm. no reason. Or he'd see a, a commercial on TV and, 
Um, so, you know, he, he started on, on meds on a really small dose of antidepressants and it's just made all the difference in the world. Yeah. 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 I mean, you're exactly right. It's the uh, attachments and suffering, you know, it's kind of that Buddhist philosophy. It's mm-hmm. you know, that your attachments are what causes, uh, human suffering and you get attached to, um, the idea that you don't need meds or that if you're on meds that, uh, you're, you're not sober in some, some way. Um, you know, we get attached to that idea and you're right. It just causes suffering. Yeah. Yeah. That, that brings up this point for me that as we look at levels of care, um, it may not just be this vertical, like here's the least and here's the middle and here's the most. I think there's also some horizontal leveling, which is, as you look at your individual recoveries, what needs to be addressed from a medical perspective, what health Mm -hmm. issues, um, what might need to be addressed with, medication, what might, what, what might need to be dressed uh, socially, uh, recreationally. Um, there's a lot of different facets to us. And so as we're evaluating what we need in our recovery plans, I think it's important to consider all basis because I, I think a recovery that doesn't include whole body and mind healing and, um, and integration is a recovery that's really short-changed. Yeah. Um, so it, from your experience, Tim, like how do people know when it's time to either step up or step down? Um, how do you know you're ready for a different level? Well, step up is, is usually pretty easy, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> They're generally pretty miserable and they, and, and they have back problems. Everybody's on their back. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's pretty easy to see. What can be challenging is when is it time to take that next step? Mm-hmm. And um, that's why we can't do this what we do professionally without doing it in consultation, doing this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I see the men every day, pretty much all day um, during the, during daytime. Um, and I see how they're interacting with each other. I see the progress they're making socially and, you know, are they managing their, their money? Are they, you know, are they cooking healthy, healthily? Um, you know, are they, you know, what are they doing? And then our, uh, um, Ashley, you know, she either sees the client directly or works um, hand in hand with our, our therapist um, and our adjunct therapist. And, and so they consult. So when we have staffing every week, we can, we can discuss each resident and, and monitor their progress and, and, you know, hopefully uh, have them, uh, you know, make the right decision when it's time for them to go home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is easy to hide out in treatment, you know, yeah. sometimes, yes. it push. sometimes it's like, uh, it's time for you to stop doing this and start getting out there yeah. and seeing the world. So, well, I'm kind of liking it to like when I learned back in elementary school to um, go across the trapeze bars, right, or right. The, mon- the monkey bars on the playground, and and there's this, and eventually you just get the feel of it, right? After several times of landing in the sand below, um, of letting go and grabbing onto the next, and then mm. letting go and grabbing onto the next, and and getting some momentum behind you that takes you to the next one, mm-hmm. but you've always got to let go, you know? So there's this moment where you haven't quite grabbed the next bar, but you've had to let go of the last bar. And, and yeah, mm-hmm. that, that gets scary, but we start to get the rhythm of doing that. Mm-hmm. And I think there can be people along the way who kind of help, help us find the rhythm of continually moving mm-hmm. to the next step and not, like you said, hiding out in this one when really it's time to move on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of times, you know, what I've discovered is 
my clients just need that person that they trust to, to say, you know, I believe in you enough to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and they haven't received those messages in life. Right. Yeah. We tend to recreate our, our raising or our, you know, our upbringing with our partners that we choose. And, um, you know, what I've found with my clients is if they grew up with critical parents, um, they'll usually choose a critical wife or husband. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. that, that, go ahead. I was going to say, or a critical recovery support system. Yeah. Yeah. Shame, really shaming sponsor or just yeah. people that are really toxic. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So when it's, it's, it's beautiful to watch somebody just when they hear, you know, I believe in you, you can do this and stop making excuses why you can't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and that's the other thing I think that's beneficial about your level of care that you offer is they're starting to, you know, adapt to like their regular life living. Um, mm-hmm. to some degree, but they're also trying to, or they're having some success. Mm-hmm. And I find for some clients that having some success is just as likely to trigger a relapse yep. as not having success. Right. Yeah. And so again, it's a, it's a safe monitored supportive way of, of having success and being able to see yourself as a good person, as um, a competent person, instead of this addict that is always self-sabotaging. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean that. I mean, we could talk about that for three hours. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, in and of itself. Um, that reminds me that the movie, though, it was a documentary called Lost in Woonsocket. Um, the two guys they took off the street. They were living in a tent. They were both homeless, and you know, one of the guy went on. One of the guys went on to just have a lot of success, and now he's a, an advocate for recovery in his state. And the other guy. Um, you know, he took on too much too soon. He didn't practice any self care, and the only way he knew to get self care was you know, to start drinking again. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Which I really recommend everybody in the program watch that. Okay. Yeah. Beautiful, what? beautiful. It's called Lost in Wound Socket. Lost in Wound Socket. Okay. Yeah. We'll put that in the show notes. Rhode Island. Oh, okay. Um, it was on the Oprah. If you go on the Oprah network. Like, yeah, they played it on like Super Soul Sunday or. Oh, okay, yeah. Nice, yeah. nice. Well, Tim Kiernan, it was a pleasure to speak to you today, and we really appreciate you sharing your expertise. How do people find you and the work that you're doing? Yeah, uh, thanks. Thank you for asking. Um, our website is called OuterCircleRecovery.com, just like you know the three circles. So the Outer Circle Recovery and dot com, and our phone number is six one five. Nine eight eight nine zero eight eight, and uh, just if you call there, number one hundred two will get me directly on my cell phone, and um, I'm happy to ask any and all questions. And uh, and even if you know, even if uh, somebody needs a referral or somewhere they're not the right fit for us, we're going to get them where they need to go. That's okay. Cool. You know, we're we're a small operation, and and you know our. Our margins are razor thin, but that doesn't matter. The main thing that matters to us is that uh, men and women, doesn't matter who, they get what they need. And uh, yeah. we, we provide a service um, to make that happen for them. So. Yeah. yeah. I think that's so important when people do make that call to get that uh, friendly person on the other line who just wants to help out and mm-hmm. get them to uh, services that, that will help them take the next step. Exactly. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Tim. Thanks. My pleasure. I'll see y'all later. Thanks. Bye-bye. 
We want to remind you at the end of this episode that your story matters. Remember there's something meaningful in every chapter. Don't wait to share your story until it's finished. You can share your story with us on our Facebook page, Healing Paths Inc., or on our website, www.thanksforsharingpodcast.com. This podcast is solely for the purpose of information and entertainment and does not constitute therapy, nor should it replace competent professional help. At the end of another episode, we want to remind you that nobody has time for perfection. We are pursuing progress. Remember the prayer of the perfectionist. Help me remember I can't do it all. Help me to take things one step at a time and that the only step I need to focus on is the next right step for me. Help me to remember that life is a journey. Help me to be able to separate all that I'm learning from all that I have to do. Help me to remember that I am not alone, that I can ask for help. Help me to re- to strive for frequent awakenings, not mastery. I am enough. Amen.